0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.
1: Hello, this is Sam Smoddix here and welcome to the 4,000 Holes Podcast.
0: You are listening to the 4000 holes podcast brought to you by the people at brfcs.com and sponsored by the lovely people at the terrace
2: Hello and welcome to another edition of the 4,000 Holes What Now podcast with me, Roger Whiteside, your host, joined in the studio this evening by regular guests Ian Herbert, Lynn Lewis, Michael Taylor, and introducing a brand new January signing that got over the line, that got the paperwork through. I'd like to welcome former Lancashire Telegraph, Rover's correspondent, Mr. Rich Sharp. Rich, great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Hopefully you will enjoy this evening's uh, debate and can add something to it. We're going to kick off with our usual three sections, as we always do here on the What Now podcast. Uh, Ten minutes each section uh, on roughly the topics of the day in and around Rovers. And, Rich, I will come straight back to you with question one on this week's podcast, which is six games and a month into the reign of John Eustace. What is your early assessment of the new Rovers boss? And furthermore to that, what extent does the brand of football concern you? Now, when I wrote this question yesterday, of course, before the match, perhaps the jury was still out. But uh, after the fine performance against Newcastle, perhaps the Eustace era is off to a flyer. What, what do you think, Rich?
3: I guess the, the bigger question is are we counting the Stoke game as the uh, as the John Eustace era or does Damian Johnson get that and David Lowe get that as their, uh, as the one? Um I wrote a piece on this about brand of football and I, I certainly think it's it earns a manager um you know a lot more patience from supporters if the brand of football that they're seeing is is one that they they enjoy but equally what enjoyment you get out of football is it can be quite individual some people just just want to win um, and any football that that gets that is is what is what they're after um and I think as Rovers fans, we've been through many phases with many different managers. We've tried many different ways. And I always think back to Tony Mowbray when they, they, they finished 15th uh, in 2020 2021, And he set out at the start of the season where he said the teams who are at the top end of the championship, more, than, more often than not, are teams who have in excess of 60% possession. And Rovers broke the norm where, where they did that. And had the second most shots in the division, and still finished fifteenth. So it feels like we've we've tried everything. And equally, I think the brand of football at the best under beyond, all Thomas, I thought was some of the best football I've seen um, a Rovers side produce. But equally, the side they've got now just does feel a bit of a a mishmash of players from different philosophies put together quite quickly. So I think it'd be hard to judge Eustace based on you know against Thomason's football because the, the players that he's got now are very different to, to the ones that Jan had available. To me, it's a big thing that I go to football because I want to enjoy watching the team. But equally, if it's coming down to results, I think anything that gets that would be, um, would be deemed you know, to, to be the right way to go about it. So uh, I think in time, that, that'll probably be the, the big thing. And certainly you saw the reaction after the Birmingham game. Uh, a lot of people came hard on the on the brand of football. That, like I said, I do think that if you play the right way and entertain, it does get you a bit more patience. But each really, equally managers are judged on results, so that'll be always what they prioritise.
2: Absolutely, uh, Michael. I'll come to you next on this one. You've been a Rovers fan for many years, seen many iterations of managers and football and philosophies come and go. Uh, so, John Eustace, first six games in, first month into the job, are you confident he's the man to take the club forward?
1: I think he is, he, well, he is the man to take the club forward. There aren't any other alternatives. Um, I was probably on the fence about this, if I'm honest with you, Roger, before last night. But I thought last night's performance, I thought the players played for him. They mm-hmm. gave it absolutely everything from like 1 to 11, right the way through the pitch. The loan signings, which obviously he had nothing to do with, but he knew what they were all capable of. And I think they're a team that are playing to their own strengths. And I was fortunate enough last season to be working in the club and speaking to lots of the players after the game, usually when they'd be presented with the player of the match award in the lounge. And I remember saying to Joe rankin Casello, how do you like this playing out from the back? Because I'll tell you what, the fans don't like it. It makes them angry. And he said, you know, if you're a modern footballer, that's the way you've got to play. If you're thinking about your career in the next 10 years, you know, if you're going to get signed up by a Premier League team, it's like, have you played this sort of possession football? Coming back to Richie's point about you know keep keeping it in possession and and playing it out from the back, but I think they really genuinely struggled with it, and it seemed like the shackles were off when we played Stoke City. I don't know if John uses said, I, th- I thought that was the players playing the way they wanted to play against Stoke, and I think we were fortunate that they were a very poor opposition. In fact, as as, as bad a team as I've seen it in Park um, against us in uh many a year but the players you know they went at it with uh with the way they wanted to play i thought really uh noticeably first clearance from from Ainsley pairs with a massive hoof up front you know it was not just tapping it to Higham and tapping it back again
2: do you think i mean again you're a proud Lancastrian and i know you've spoken a lot about community feeling as at football clubs and, and and the the wider fan base being the heartbeat of a football club do you buy into the notion that sort of going around the stands and on social media that perhaps John Eustace and his style of football is more in keeping with the town of Blackburn itself in terms of that hard work, more labore than arte, if you will? But that sort of the fans can get behind a hard working team. I was going to ask Lindsay. I know Lindsay obviously is not from from Blackburn, but huge Rovers fan. But if you're from Blackburn, it, you know you're proud to be seeing players as, as uh, Eustace. Well, it's every week sweating blood, which <laughs> I must admit is the only problem I have with uses so far with the, that term. But do you think that that's true, that Rovers fans want to see a team that sort of reflects the town and reflects the sort of working class roots of the town?
1: Well, I think so. I don't know. lynn has got far more matches than I do and he's far more in touch with the core super fan base than I am. So maybe it's better start her take on this one.
2: Well, maybe Linz, I mean, I know um, Nottingham perhaps uh, might say the same f- for themselves there uh, in terms of uh, weather foresting, whether it's a Northwest thing, whether it's a Lancastrian thing or not. But uh, have you heard that, that spoken on the terraces or on your various trips around?
4: I mean, just of- to be clear, I'm not a super fan. I wasn't invited to the super fan <laughs> meeting, so I'm definitely <laughs> not a super fan. I don't think it's something unique to the Northwest. I think anyone that's paying the money we're paying and traveling the miles we are traveling want to be able to identify with the team on the pitch. And I agree that under JDT, we saw some amazing football, but let's, make that narrative very clear that we also saw some utter dross um, and we saw some terrible performances and towards the end we had a man who spoke with such disdain around the people who ultimately are the ones who have to keep us up and regardless of my thoughts on what's gone on off the pitch the reality is those 23 25 men in that squad have to do a job until May and I think what Eustace has tapped into is to quote Rich's article that I've just read, players aren't robots. And if I was turning up to my job every week and being told I'm not good enough and ideally I'd like somebody else, but I can't have them. So I've got you and you want to play one way, but I want to play another. No one is bigger than our club. And it felt towards the end that JDT was all about JDT, whereas Eustace has come in and has, whether it's genuine or not, we're only six games in, but You know, the first thing he said was, I want this fan base behind us and that fan base will drag you across the line. As we saw last night and as we will see more pertinently away from home, if you get the core on the side, you've got a chance. And JDT had lost most of those towards the end for me.
2: You buy into, I mean, obviously we read a lot of his articles, um, some of the press conferences they do on Thursdays. He is very pro the fan movement, isn't he, Linz, in terms of he's very encouraging to the fans, talking about a team, a family, a squad. It starts in the players, but it's on the pitch, on the stands. Do you think it's a bit... A bit twee, perhaps a bit sort of saccharine. Couldn't uh, care less.
4: If he gets me 50 points and he keeps us up, I'm not bothered in any way, shape or form, if it's real or not. And I think actually he's read the room. And one of my criticisms of Rovers for years has been that they don't read the room, that they don't have someone on social media and they don't have people in the stands at games hearing what people who are going week in, week out want and what they identify with. And if they took some of those easy wins, they wouldn't have... moans and the groans and the build-up of issues that they have so actually whether that's come from Eustis or whether it's come from someone in the club it's working people are backing him and ultimately it's a results-based business I don't care about a brand of football I don't know what our brand of football is meant to be what I know is this club doesn't survive if it gets relegated and that's all I'm bothered about so if it's three 1-0 wins that keep us up, fine. We regroup in the summer for whatever drama is coming along next because, you know, we know it's coming.
2: Yeah, what matters is what works, as they used to say in politics. Uh, Ian, I'll just come to you finally just to finish off this section. A month that has seen Rovers go through transfer mishaps, uh, booed off the pitch at home against QPR, the devastating JDT post-match interview, to then end the month with rapturous applause of the team who were sort of gallant losers or plucky uh, underdogs against against Newcastle been a hell of a month do you think if they do not pick up a point at at Swansea or they they get beat at Swansea do you think it's still quite fragile the the, sort of these foundations that are being built on or do you think Rovers can on the back of last night's performance against Newcastle perhaps ride that storm into March and, and into the the final games coming up
0: I, th- I think both of those options are, are eminently possible, obviously. I think that you know, last night was incredibly enjoyable. It's the most enjoyable game I've seen at EWood in a very, very, very long time. And I came away from it, and I I, I struggled to get to sleep last night. I think I got home just before one o'clock, and I had to come down. I think the adrenaline, I think well, that wasn't driving home on the M1 either. It was just one of those sort of things where you sort of think, oh, that was really, really, it was fun. And it's the first time it's been fun for ages. If we get gubbed by Swansea, I think that the last night's honeymoon period ends very quickly. If we win, I think that will be a terrific result, given the way Swansea have been, have been performing of late. So, the direction of travel from the QPR game to last night is definitely in the right direction. I think we've seen enough to know that Eustace sets his teams up to be difficult to beat. Um, I think Carl and I'm sure we'll come on to him later on, but he's been a revelation in terms of organising that defence. John Buckley, I thought, last night was uh, everything that we hoped he could be against a really, really expensive and experienced Newcastle midfield. So there are there are plenty of things to hang your hat on and be positive about. The cautious side of I me mean, sort of says, whilst last night was great, it was an FA Cup tie, it didn't put points on the board, and Lindsay's point is well made. Everything that we should be focused on now until May is about getting to 50 points. I think if it's if every game is a war of attrition next season the grumbles will start, but that's next season's problem. This season's problem is get to fifty points. And right now, I think rovers have are demonstrating that they've got a
1: backbone that I didn't think they had a month ago. So that's very positive. It was almost the perfect result if, if that doesn't sound like too sugarcoating it. A gallant a gallant defeat, a great performance, and we don't suffer the ignominy, inevitably, given what the cup draw's thrown up getting beat 6-0 at man city in the next round which would be a real confidence sapper. Yeah I'm going I'm going to be a pedant here and sort of say well we didn't lose
0: last night. We went toe to toe with a premier league side for 2 hours and then yeah. we then we had a penalty shootout competition and we lost the penalty shootout competition. But yeah in in the 120 minutes we we had way more shots on target than they did. We had some good yeah. chances. Uh, and we had a couple of heroic saves, well, more than a couple of heroic saves from Pairs. Just, just um, look at the interview,
1: look at Anthony Pairs' interview. He's he, walking on air, he's on yeah, fire. He's,
3: yeah. he's,
1: and, it, that, and that was testament to his performance as well. Absolutely. It, and it, they'll take that into the next game, so we, they go into it with a lot of confidence. Yeah, I mean, seeing tonight's
0: draw, I think last night's result is just about the best Rovers could have got.
2: I also uh, just <laughs> a, a bit that I had a wry smile on my face when the men was singing England's number one to Ainsley Pears, a much maligned character for most of the season. Dillamar Kande, Ayari, we could go on and on about the performances last night. I'm sure you all watched it. I'm sure you can all uh, make your own opinions of that. That's what we think in part one. We're going to be back in part two after these messages with our predictions and our thoughts on what is the bread and butter now for Rovers for the rest of the season, Championship Survival.
5: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, whether that's Rovers throwing in a drab nil-nil in the Championship or taking Newcastle all the way to a penalty shootout in the fifth round of the FA Cup, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So, the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com
0: 4,000 Holes, no longer just a fanzine, now a podcast too but you know that you're listening to
2: it. Welcome back to section two of this week's 4,000 holes. What's now podcast with me, your host, Roger White. So joined by Ian, Rich, Linz, and Michael. And my question to the panel, uh, number two question for part two is presently nine points separates 11th to 22nd in the championship. How many points do the panel think are needed for survival? And what odds would you currently give on Rovers beating the drop? And I'm going to come to you, Michael, with your thoughts on that one.
1: Yeah, well, I think Lin said the Magic 50 before, and I'll go along with that. I think 50 points will do us. I think Rotherham are dead and buried. I think Stoker in free fall. Um, Sheffield Wednesday look like they might be threatening to put a bit of a run together, but I can't see any anyone getting. Uh, I think fifty points will see us right.
2: So that's eleven more points for Rover. So what? Three wins, two draws. Linz, you uh, you mentioned fifty points. Obviously, uh, Michael's doubled down on that. Still fifty. Still sticking at fifty for your prediction there.
4: I mean, only because that's like the magic number um if you'd asked me this question last month i'd have said we were dead and buried to be honest i've been saying we're relegation fodder since end of november maybe um i wasn't seeing a great deal on the pitch that gave me much confidence that we would start gathering points um on the last pod that i was on i sort of nailed my colors to the mass that it was time for jdt to go um and that's not because I don't like him. And, you know, he looked fabulous on his pictures for the Sweden job. Wasn't it lovely to see him looking well again? Because we'd aged him about 30 years. But I just didn't see where the next point was coming from while he remained in charge. Whereas now, I'm hopeful that Eustace can get the best out of what we've got and i think it's really important to remember it is a squad with quality they showed that last night and um, i don't think it's a lack of quality necessarily i think it's a lack of not playing to their strengths and i think some of the heads had gone to be honest like and that's not me being in the know i have no idea if that's accurate or not but watching them week in week out and seeing the body language they they look a different group now so i'm hopeful they can make it over the line and um, i said at the start of the season i'd have took a top 12 finish and a cup run they've given us a cup run between them 15th or so and i'd i'd be delighted
2: rich you uh, can come up with the journalistic angle on this one rovers obviously famously went down with 51 points in 2016 17 the a minus 12 goal difference Nottingham Forest survived with a minus 10 goal difference on the same number of points. Uh, what are your thoughts going into the the final run in the final sort of half dozen, uh, oh, sorry, dozen games to go in the Championship?
3: No, um, I don't. Um, I think the, the saving grace for Rovers is the amount of teams that are in it. I think they'd be a lot more concerned if you were fourth bottom and the points difference was as it is. So Stoke, the way they're trending and on for 47, if they carry on at the points per game that they've got at the minute, which means eight points from 12 for Rovers. And they've got nine from the last 12, which you think how bad the form has been. So I think it'd have to be a collapse to a significantly greater scale than the playoff drop-off that we've seen in the last two seasons um, if they were to get there. But equally, I I think they need to get these points sooner rather than later to ease any concerns and also... Thinking about the fixtures that they've got to come, I think if you're going into those April games with something still still riding on them, so you're looking at the the next three and heading into the international break. I think if they can get six or seven from these next four games, I think that would certainly start to to ease some of the concerns because I think as well last night helped in the fact that we saw more people contributing because that has been something that has been a concern under Eustace, that he's been leaning on the same players quite a lot um, and it's relying on the same figures. And that's why I thought that the final hour of last last night could be so important for so many of those players that he was able to turn to them and show that he can potentially trust them because, like I've said, if, if you're asking Sam Gallagher to, to play as he is for the next 12 how Smodics is still going at the rate he is, I have no idea because I felt like he's, got, he's been injured in half the last month's games. So yeah, need to get him on the board as soon as possible. I've not really got any concerns about getting dragged into him, looking at the points that teams who finished would have stayed up with. And it tends to be 45 normally enough whether because Stoke trended at more than a point a game, it might be a bit higher. But no, I, I certainly think it will not take much more for, for him to get over the line. But I would like to see him do it sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah, I know uh, 2012-13 was another year, which was... Yeah, that was, high, 50, that was
3: 55 points, yeah. 55, um, yeah. 50, 52 Rovers would have needed that season. They went down because of the goal difference. Again, the goal difference isn't disastrous at the minute. <laughs> Again, <laughs> no, hopefully we're not relying on goal differences we did last year because uh, that came to bite us then.
2: No, I suppose looking at it from sort of the, the classic BRFCS optimistic, pessimistic threads that are on the forums there, that uh, your your big home matches that you would sort of circle out as being the two tough ones, being Ipswich and Southampton, although again, Eustace can probably turn around and say, well, you gave Newcastle a game, so you should be able to give them a game. Leeds away looks very tough on paper, but you never know. And again, they're going to lose at least one of the remaining games. So why not at Leeds away? And then, of course, the big one at the end of the season, Leicester away, which hopefully they might be up by then. I know that can work both ways. But um, I remember going to Brentford, obviously, on that last game of the season and, and getting a decent result where Brentford had already had their fate sealed. But you do really feel, don't you, this next three games is going to be crucial. Millwall and Ports, yeah. uh, Plymouth, sorry, at so- home. Yeah, going to be two of the big ones. Ian, any fixtures there from the sort of remaining running that sort of scream out at you of uh, potential banana skins or uh, we could be safe by? Yeah, I was looking for the
0: three wins that you were talking to just a second ago. And I think two of them come in the next two home games. Yeah. So Millwall and Plymouth. So let, let, let's play scenario A, which is optimistic. We go to Swansea, we get a point, we beat Millwall, we beat Plymouth. Uh, I think then we're looking in a very, very healthy situation. We've still got Wednesday to play at home. So those are the games that I'm looking for. There's always a chance of nicking some points at the likes of Sunderland away, Bristol City away, I would think. Uh, Leicester away at the end of the season. I think they'll be celebrating with a trophy, so I'm not, not counting on anything there. Leeds away on current form, nah, that's not going to happen, is it? Let, let, let's be sensible about yeah. like that. So the next three games are absolutely crucial. Yeah. So last night was a great dress rehearsal for playing under pressure, uh, and I know championship football isn't like playing a Premier League team. You don't get the time on the ball necessarily that Newcastle gave us last last night, and Newcastle didn't attack us to our greatest weaknesses. I was expecting lots of diagonal balls for Anthony Gordon to run onto and poor old Karl McFancyen to be blowing uh, after about 10 minutes. And they didn't do that. I think some of the championship sides will know us better than Newcastle and will aim to exploit the weaknesses. So the next three games, absolutely crucial. Those are the ones. We'll have one daft result where we'll beat somebody totally unexpectedly before the end of the season, and that should be enough. But if we don't get the points in the next three games... I think then we start to we start to sweat.
3: Just to put the frighteners up, you—they've only beaten two of those teams. They've got six points for those teams they've got left to play. So they beat Millwall and beat Middlesbrough, and they've lost to the rest in the the reverse fixtures. So that just, that just shows the task that they've uh, they've got at hand.
0: Yeah, we categorically should not be complacent because we, we've had, yeah get the teams at the bottom. Um, you know, we've just struggled to beat them, haven't we? So we shouldn't look and sort of say, well, they're down at the bottom. Yeah, but so are we. So let's not be complacent. But that that's where I see the potential saving graces.
2: Yeah, I think we're all in agreement there that it's still within our control, within our hands and uh, they've got to act on that. So that's our thoughts. So if you can let us know what you think over on the forums, we're going to be back in part three for our roundup of February Player of the Month with uh, resident Stato Ian Herbert and more from the panel, including uh, some Vinkie's chat and talk of some of the new signings and we've mentioned him already before on the podcast a certain Muster McFadson who I am going to admit this on the podcast, is fast becoming my favourite player. More well to come after this. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like seeing Sammy Smodix get the winner at Ewood Park. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. 4,000
0: holes in Blackburn, Lancashire It's from a Beatles song Give it a
2: listen Welcome back to section 3 of the 4,000 holes podcast The What Now show with me, Roger Joined in the studio this week by Linz, Michael, Rich and Ian And I'm going to come straight to you, Ian To talk us through February's Player of the Month Plenty of games, plenty of totals Plenty of averages there on the Excel spreadsheet In front of you, take it away yeah, my
0: Excel spreadsheet is going further to the right with each passing month, as you'd expect. Yes, you say, very busy month in February. And it's thrown out a new winner for our player of the month. I think anybody who's watched Rovers since the January window closed. And we all sort of said, what on earth are we doing? Signing a 36, nearly 37-year-old, well, he's 37 now, uh, centre-back. What on earth? Well, Cal McFadzian, come on down. Congratulations, because you are the BRFCS Player of the Month for February, supported by Trust. I think well-deserved. Thoroughly consistent across the board in in all of the games that it, that he's played so far, uh, and I think he was taken off as a as a sort of like a mercy a mercy substitution last night against Newcastle. But until he was taken off, I thought he was flawless. But I did panic that two hours in those legs might uh, might sort of knock him for the rest of the season and certainly Saturday. So Cal McFadden is the player of the month. In second place was John Buckley. I think has come back into the side to fill that uh, Adam Wharton-shaped hole. And he's had uh, three very consistent performances so far So far since coming back. He's looked as though he's, he's never been away. And I think uh, that recall clo- clause from Sheffield Wednesday is certainly, certainly helping us there. And then in third place, and I'm delighted. It's Redemption. Uh, he was the, the man of the match last night against Newcastle, no doubt about that. It's Ainsley Pairs. So, having come back from injury, got his place back, and uh, he's slowly but surely starting to to win the fans over. More displays like the one last night, and I think he'll become a a firm favourite. So, well done to those three guys. So, I say, Carl McFadden, Player of the Month for February.
2: We have to have a little talk about Carl McFadden just before we go on. I think so. I mean, not only how well he's played, but how well he's made Scott Wharton and Dom Hyam, who's look pretty shaky this is Linz I'm going to come to you for this Dom you're you're a massive Dom Higham fan you're more confident with Dom at the back there with uh, the Cal McFadden.
4: I mean I'm basically family at this point Roger so you can't (laughs) you can't ask me this Mr and Mrs Higham are like my best friends so um I can't give an unbiased view of this other than to say I know as a family they're delighted that Kyle has has joined and that you know he was loved by the Coventry fans um he's in Dom's spare room and um I think he has brought the best out of of them and again I suppose to go back to what we chatted about in the first part was that something that was missing from both the team and the club, that bit of grit, that bit of doing the, the dirty work that, you know, perhaps isn't very flashy, but matters. And I think a voice and, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, because I know I bore everyone with saying this, but we've been stripped of personalities and he's got a personality and I don't think under previous stewardship that would have been welcomed, but I think it has. I think it has been welcomed, and and I think running alongside that, we've also seen the return of a bit of fun. You know, we're seeing the players post on social media again. We're seeing videos from the changing rooms and from training. And if you're talking about fan engagement and wanting people to buy into this team, we we need that, and he's been part of that.
2: Absolutely, Rich. I'll just come back to you for a little word on John Buckley, silver place on this one, only a couple of uh, appearances, but uh, fill in that gap left by Adam Wharton. Massive for the club uh, in the short term, you talk to us about Mr. Buckley and uh, what he's managed to achieve in his couple of games back. I feel like we're having to
3: start this without saying that I'm incredibly biased, but uh, I'm going to do the same with with Bucko um obviously followed his progress closely from the under twenty ones. I thought last season would be a massive season. I thought he'd be player of the year. I thought with Rothwell going there that was the perfect platform for him to to step into um obviously didn't quite happen for him. He's obviously had time away. Uh, at Sheffield Wednesday. But I just feel with Bucco, he needs to be tested. He needs that challenge. On his day, he'll admit, he can be the best, one of the best midfielders in this division. We saw it against Sheffield United last season against Fleck Norwood and Sanderberger, where he was excellent. The Stoke away game was one of the best individual performances I've seen from a central midfielder. And I just thought last night was the perfect platform for him. It was Tromstad's not there. It's all on Buckley's He's playing against Guimara, Esch, Longstaff, Longstaff. And he just plays on the edge with that real snarl. And when he gets the ball, he just looks like somebody who wants it. And I think with this team at the minute, there's not many who seem as comfortable with the ball at, the, at his feet. And I just hate the FA Cup schedule that it's midweek because I'd have loved to have seen him. I understand why he had to play an hour the same with with Fancy, but I'd have loved to have seen him continue in that vein because... It, the standard ovation he got was was well deserved. It's just for Bucko to do it when they play at Plymouth at home, and you want him to be the best player and it not to be too easy for him and to think like that and to just have that mindset because there's a player in there. And while it wasn't planned that he'd be the Adam Watt replacement, I'm sure that's that's just come about by, not by design, but um, he can be a big player for, for this football club moving forward.
2: The shame for Buckley that he never seemed to get over that red card against Middlesbrough with a sort of a stupid red card, which probably never was a red card, if we're being brutally honest, was it? With the sort of ball to the back of the head and whether that had any impact on... It Thomas came back into the side. Into right.
3: The Sheffield United game was in March, the start of March and then he got the injury against Stoke uh, and then Morton came back in. So the centre midfield position has been fascinating for Rovers this last couple of seasons. Do you think of... The amount of players that have had goes in there, there's been so much talk. Tyler Morton, Adam Wharton, that uh, you know, narrative around him, bucko the same. Uh, I, yeah, exactly. I can understand why, you know. Buckley wants to go at the start of the season to get games, obviously I'm the same with Travis in January, and it's going to be the pivotal thing in the summer again, his central midfield that everybody's looking at to recruit. But yeah, hopefully he finds that he maybe he feels a made man and this is his time to shine and this will bring the best out of him.
2: Yeah, and we'll keep this positive spin going for you, Michael, just ending on the bronze-placed member of the February Player of the Month, Ainsley Pairs, England's number one. Froud favourite, he would darling these days after last night's performance.
1: Yeah, even when Maltazard was playing quite well, and there was there was still a doubt about him. I remember the, uh, the, the Chris Sutton was commenta- co-commentating on the Sky game when we played Norwich away, and he was calling him Flappy and saying, no, they need to be trying a few long shots. You know, catch this one out. You can tell the defenders aren't confident with him." And I'm thinking, he's talking out of his Chris. But I think it was proved right. It, it is all about confidence, isn't it, from the back? And it, you know, it's great to see it's it's always great to see a player give an interview after a great performance with an amazing smile on their face that they take that energy into the ne- next game and that's what we saw last night after the game with the interview that angel bears gave quite rightly too he should be proud it was a brilliant performance but you know he made his body look big when he went down one of their cut chances and his reflexes are good and sharp, and he's he's organising his defence, which you always want a good a good keeper to be doing. The big question: Are we going to run a book on this? <clears throat> Is Leopold
0: Wolsted going to earn a Swedish international cap under their new manager?
2: No. What do we think?
3: <laughs> I did wonder whether JDT would be there last night watching uh, watching Isak, but uh, I guess he doesn't officially start till Friday, so that might be. Uh... Ahead of his time, but uh, again, that's going to be an interesting one with the, with the goalkeeping situation because the, the money they did spend on bullshit, and I think there's a lot of talk about he wasn't ready for first team football, but, but they spent 750 grand on him, uh, a quarter of what they got for Kavinsky. If, you know, the, the main outlay in the summer was on him, so they've obviously seen something in him that is, is a long term option. So I think that one again is going to be um, a story that will run and run. Some of
2: my sources, which uh, I don't want to claim to be uh, in the know or anything like that, but some of my sources have said that his son is being kept on as a scholar next season for Mr. Thomason's uh, young lad. So uh, who knows? We might see JDT back at Ewood going, uh, going into next season. Who knows? Uh, Ian, I'll just come back to you just because we do talk about who's hot and who's not here on the podcast. To sort of, it's, it probably seems a bit unfair to name and shame after last night's performance, but who perhaps needs to just... Step up a little bit. Who was bottom of the rankings for, or, uh, for February?
0: Well, I think uh, our, our low knee from Brighton, Andrew Moran, or Moran, whichever way you pronounce it, um, I think he's, he's struggled. Though last night, I would say, was by far and away his best game in a Rover shirt. And again, is it is it the fact that he's coming up against a Premier League side and they give him more time and all the rest of it? But uh, he's certainly someone that that struggled. Uh, <laughs> our German Bosnian reserve centre forward that hasn't troubled the scorers to use cricket parlance too greatly when, when he's appeared. But obviously, the poor guy's been coming off the bench and has not not uh, not had much uh, much opportunity. Uh, and we had a cameo from John Fleck, so I think we'll just we'll scoot over that. But yeah, let, let's hope that last night acts as the catalyst then for lots and lots of positive scores but just just as a matter of interest the the team's score on average against QPR was 4.9 as judged by the people who voted last night was 7.69 so obviously everyone was really happy with what they saw last night so fingers crossed
2: We'll now move on to a little bit of any other business. Uh, typical end to the podcast each and every week, uh, which I can throw it out to the panel for some interesting debate in the Rovers' world, the Rovers' sphere. and uh, Michael?
1: Yeah, I, I think as supporters, we've not got to let the club off the hook for still what a shambles it is. Yeah, You know, we saw there was open rebellion and dissent at the Stoke City game the with the bedsheets out again, insults directed at both the, the Venkies and at Steve Waggett. I found it laughable that those seats next to the uh, director's box and the press box webbed off because they don't want people sitting in them who can't sell them, but so they'll rather nobody sat in them at all. It just seems to me a symbol of the short-sightedness and poor priorities for management that isn't leading the club. And when you look down the list of crowds of other clubs that have had a really bad recent history, much worse than ours, regularly getting over 20,000. Know, Coventry, Ipswich, Watford, clubs that have, um, that have sort of bounced back from bad times. You don't have to look much further down the road towards Bolton. You know, they're starting to market their season ticket renewals for next season already. Obviously, the expectation will be playing in the Championship. They're keen to get some money in. But they're under new ownership seems just so much more forward-looking and engaged with its supporters. And they're getting regularly over 20,000 fans. And And I think we've, as supporters, we've got to keep the heat on this on, on the leadership of this club. And I think we've got other examples of better leadership in football clubs not too far
2: away. So what's the argument against if, you know, none of us, I'm sure, will disagree with what you've said? Does it involve more tennis balls at the next match? Does it involve protest? Does it involve boycotts does it involve you know what what is the way forward i, I genuinely don't don't know roger
1: um i, I wasn't too enamoured with the tennis ball thing last night it, it sort of seemed in, inappropriate i thought when i heard when i heard the chant on 14 minutes i thought yeah i get that i get the frustration and don't let them forget it and use the opportunity to remind the rest of the footballing world so you had you know, danny murphy and alan shearer talking about that you know recollecting their times as as as, as Rovers players whoever thought we'd say that in the same sentence eh? Danny Murphy and Alan Shearer and the esteem that they're held in no I I don't know what the direction is I don't know what sort of the direct action should be or could be but (laughs) I just think that's got to be the overarching uh, narrative to get behind the team absolutely 100% and the manager but let's not let Steve Waggons get away
2: with it, Rich. I mean, you'll have come across this in your days as the Lancashire Telegraph rubbish reporter. Either you're not doing enough to talk about Venkis out, or you're not doing it in the right way, or uh, the, the the club is using the newspaper as a uh, you know a, a front for Vinky support. I mean, there's there's so many mistruths and so many rubbish sort of factual stories that come out of there, but. Now you're on the other side of the fence a little bit. Do you do you sort of see things differently, or do you do you still? So what's your opinion on the whole? Uh, I, no, think I,
3: I think everyone just wants to clear understanding and an explanation of, of what's going on. And I, I think you kind of get drip fed things from you know fans' forum minutes, and you have certain things where bits come out, but club statements, which obviously means they're either can't talk about it, won't talk about it. And I think there needs to be some clear understanding put forward to the fans of where things are at because the massive word is sustainability. And you look at the figures for any other business, it's not sustainable. And it becomes more unsustainable by the fact you don't know when the next bit of money's going. And then it's so easy for things to to grow when nobody talks, when you hear about the Adam Wharton thing, the Duncan Maguire thing, and everything just snow. Probably shouldn't say snowball, should I, There's a good one for you. <laughs> <laughs> Everything just builds and builds, and it just creates this mass hysteria. And it's as if, like, we just wait for that to pass, and then something else starts, and then it, it just builds and builds again. So I think just some clear explanation from somebody who you have to think would have to be the chief executive, because if nobody's from Venkis is, is willing to speak the chief executive is the person who's in charge of the day-to-day run of the football club and there are questions there that, that, that people want answered because they're quite simple, I don't think anybody's wanting a deep dive into to Venki's books or to know the geopolitical situation in India and why these things are happening they just want basic answers to, to simple questions and if they can't be answered an explanation as to why that's the case and just try and find a solution where everybody can move forward and this just doesn't keep coming
2: and happening over and over. Yeah, Ian, uh, I was going to come to you next anyway. They were saying that obviously March is a big month again for the Indian court case. What's the latest on that? Anything new on that? I think the March court
0: case and the clear statement thereafter is what is absolutely required, because the fear, clearly, is that the Adam Wharton money just turns into working capital and that's not reinvested. And that the Indian court looks and says, oh, well, you can sell assets in the UK and raise £22 million. Why should I let you send any more money over from India? So it it just feels to me like there's been a change of mood in India politically about overseas investment. And football suffered with this with China a few years ago, where it was in vogue for Chinese outward investment to to spend money on football clubs, uh, right up until the point where the central party of China sort of said, well, it isn't now. I want all all the capital to be invested domestically, and India it feels like is going through something similar. So I don't think this is a short term problem. I don't think it goes away in March. I think we we need to be on it. We need to be understanding what the impacts and implications are, because it could be again. I you keep using the phrase, it feels like death of a thousand cuts. Yeah. There's no one thing that happens that kills it stone dead. So it's not we're not a reading. But if we can't get money from India, we very quickly will become one because that's what keeps the lights on to the tune of 17, 18 million quid a year.
1: It's other it's little things last night, the kickoff being delayed for 15 minutes because of a turnstile problem. You know, and it was a repetition. Of- uh, and the same happened against Rexel. Exactly.
4: It's the repeat issues. That's what it is. It's the repeat issues. And when or if this Indian court case is resolved, does that explain? <clears throat> the fact that Ewood is falling apart. Does it explain poor ticket prices? Does it explain every year we're the last people to release our season tickets? Does it explain every other club sells out of their shirts and can get them a week later? We're sold out in October. You can't buy your kid a kit at Christmas, but you can buy them the training range in December, but they then release a new one in January. So all the kids that opened the one in December now don't look like the people in January. Does it explain all of the other things that have gone on? It doesn't. And it's a smokescreen. The big, big issue that I'm not clever enough to understand doesn't actually explain the very basic decisions they continue to get wrong. And no one is holding them accountable. But it isn't our job as fans to hold them accountable. But we're having to. And we're continuing to ask the questions. But when only certain people are allowed to ask the questions in a certain way, in a certain forum. Um, And that's divisive. You know, that whole thing was about let's all meet and then let's release a collective statement afterwards. And it was just a free for all. It was just people falling out with each other, people who are friends turning on each other. That's got nothing to do with an Indian court. That's got to do with the inability to read a room. And until they get someone in place who can read a room, we're just going to go around in circles because it's the same issues every time we speak on this. You're so right. The turnstile thing was the exact same at Wrexham. Exact same issue. We've learnt nothing.
0: The hilarious thing about that was the day after the Wrexham game, somebody from the technology company, I can't remember who it was put this post on and lots of photographs, because they were having corporate hostility at EWood, congratulating themselves about the debuting of this technology and how it had gone smoothly. And then rapidly underneath, about 50 Wrexham fans said, beg to differ, and put photographs of them still outside the Darwin end, You know, 15 minutes after kick-off, not able to get in. And then, as you say, the exact same things happened last night. We had the digital-only fiasco against Cambridge. I'm a firm believer that culture starts at the top, and it's a culture of an organisation is set by the, the CEO who demands excellence, who provides support, who gives all the staff very clear direction about what is needed, how they're going to do it, and how he, he or she will help them to achieve those goals. doesn't matter what industry you're in, that, that's best practice. And that's what I'm looking for at Rovers. I'm looking for everybody to be aligned and have line of sight and be really clear about what we're trying to do, how we're going to do it, and how we're going to take the fans along with us on that journey. And that's the bit that's missing. We leave hundreds of thousands of pounds on the table because we're just not smart enough or slick enough or sufficiently resourced to do the things that are good football club does but to flip
4: it Ian good management is also listening to your workers and in this instance we we as fans are the workers and you know we were so proud last night to open a new suite where you can eat a nine course dinner I mean I speak for me and my friends where we ain't bothered about a nine course dinner but it would be nice if we could get a hot dog if we wanted one or bring one of the kids to a game for a quid or a fiver so that's fantastic that you're catering to 1% of a town, you know, a fan base. But coming back to that original question of what does the town look like? What does the fan base look like? The fan base aren't being heard and are being priced out, pushed out, and the experience isn't enjoyable. Why would people want to give repeat business?
0: Yeah, we are, we are the customers. So, again, going back to best practice customers, sorry, a, a chief executive takes soundings from the shareholders, from the customers and from the staff and synthesizes all that together to come up with a very clear and coherent plan as to how you're going to achieve what it is that you set out to, to do. That's the bit that I think is missing because at the moment it, it feels like a parent-child relationship where Venkis are the parent, the club is the child that's gone to university, they promised to pay our accommodation costs and now they can't. And they're basically sort of saying to the child, well, get a job in a bar, You know, pay your own accommodation costs, it's not our problem any longer. And, and yeah, that might be their viewpoint, but if that, if that is where they're going to take this in the long term, then well, put us up for sale then. Free yourself of these shackles, because you can't be enjoying it, yeah. it can't be fun for you, I, I just don't get it but.
2: With uh, with Without wanting to keep going over our ground, because we could talk about Vinkies for hours and hours and hours. I fear we could, let's not, yes. Uh, Another (laughs) key March appointment or a March meeting is that of Greg Broughton, who said he's going to be coming out in March to speak during the March International break. Just interested to hear the panel's thoughts on Greg's future, um, what they want to hear, what they think they may hear. Rich, you've been in the room with uh, Mr. Broughton, I assume, uh, what, what do you expect to hear from Greg and do you think it'll be the party line?
3: I think that was the massive thing that last year when he took it on his shoulders, when people weren't really pointing the finger at him, it's the, the easiest thing then is when it goes wrong again, you're going to be asking the same questions of, of that person. But <laughs> a hell of a lot of things about about what have gone on, but it, it's, got, it's gone wrong and, and that needs to be addressed, as does the appointment of John Eustace, which... For all intents and purposes appears to be an appointment that's been made by the chief executive which if we heard of this new football this new structure of the football club was that the director of football is in charge of football matters and he's not leading the search for a new manager that opens up a question we heard so much about a project. Where is the project now? You've sold Adam Morton, great. Uh, and Jan took a lot of that credit for saying he brought Adam Morton through. I don't think it took a rocket scientist from watching Adam Morton play that whoever would have been in charge of Blackburn Rovers would have played him. But now you've sold Adam Morton. Where's the next one? You've got the Ryan right money, but equally that's then going to run out you're now playing a team that is made up of loanies and players on deals until the end of the season. So any form of sustainability and long-term project seems to have gone out the window. So Greg's going to have to, to front up and answer these questions. It does look like he is staying, um, which I think there was uncertainty after everything that went on. Is he similar to JDT? If, there's, if he sees the project as not being the job that he was sold, does he then change his mind? So there's, there's so many questions, but I think it's a difficult time to ask it because, like Lindsay was saying about, the short-term goal is to get to the end of the season, get enough points and move on into the summer. But the mindset of where Greg's at, Greg doesn't look like that. He doesn't look at results. He looks beyond that. So it's how that tallies with with where the football club is at the minute. So. It's going to be some tough questions to ask, and it's going to be illuminating what he says because we've heard nothing from Eustace about any project, anything beyond the season. It is all for him on getting to the end of the season and getting enough points, which seems such a mind shift. And it, it really is where Greg fits into that jigsaw.
2: Michael, any thoughts on uh, Greg Broughton? I mean, should heads roll? We spoke about this on the last podcast.
3: I don't know. I think Rich has Rich
1: has really summed it up very well and and, and showed you know full full exposition of his closeness to the situation much more than, than mine would be. I think, I think you hit your nail on the head there, Rich, about the, the lack of a project anymore. You know, what is the point of, of, of a director of football when it is a hodgepodge of a team? And how much of it is about marketing the players that we've got, getting them game time and parceling them off and getting decent money for them, selling them on in the way that they did with Adam Wharton? Because the shelf life of a quality player in a championship team before they move on to the to the Premier League now, it's ridiculous to show. I mean, long gone are the days where Graham Souness would play 140 games for Middlesbrough in the old second division, sure. my age now. You know, Adam Wharton played, what, 50 games for Rovers? Yeah. yeah. And it, after the season, he, he was sat out. He was sat up in the stands with his injured brother, Scott. But let's not forget last season, he was out of favour. JDT kind of timed his run into the team.
3: Well, that was going back to the brand, the brand of football chat at the start. That was equally buying into it. If you're going to sell players to Premier League clubs, you have to play Premier League football. And that, that was, again, all part of it. Whereas if you played three central defenders and two holding midfielders, there's not really a chance for anybody to, to break through like that. And again, we're leaning on the academy again, which is the greatest asset to this football club from a, from a football side of things. And you're again relying on that to to pull one out of the bag for you because you've sold the training ground, you've sold your crown jewel in Wharton, it's, there's, not, there's not much left to sell.
2: No, and I think the other interesting thing, though, is uh, like the Ashley Phillips incident, is that you've got this Rory Finner and, and uh, Ego Taijian are the two names that are sort of spoken about, lauded about the training ground. Uh, and yet Adam was a little bit different because of the family connection to Blackburn, because he was from Blackburn, because he was a Blackburn lad. I'm sure Adam had opportunities to go to other clubs when he was younger and, and the, the family kept him at, at Ewood, kept him at Rockall that convenience in terms of did the club a favour in that sense, which uh, say Rory Finneran gets a, an interest from a, a Man City or a Man United or an Arsenal when he's 17, he could leave for peanuts. So, yeah, the, the chances of even if Rory Finneran turns out to be as good as Adam Wharton is to then go for 20 million age 20 or t- what is he, uh, Adam, 19, 20 when he left? Uh, sort of yeah they're very very slim so there you go that's what we think would be very interested and very welcome to hear what you think you could join us on the brfcs.com forums where there will be the usual threads you can get involved with and also just another uh, promotion for scott and the print edition of the 4000 halls which is still available the 90 special which i read cover to cover One uh, evening last week, a brilliant read, probably my favorite edition of 4,000 Holes, which several of us on the podcast uh, on tonight's show and, uh, in other guises, I've contributed to so yeah, well done to Scott and everyone else involved there. You can find him at the top of Kidder Street and Nuttall Street every match day, usually from about half two to three o'clock. So, two pounds very well spent. So, thanks from me, Roger, to the guests on this week's show Ian, Rich, lynn's and Michael. We'll be back with another edition of the 4000 Holes podcast, The What Now Show in march where we'll be talking about survival and how eustace is the best thing since sliced bread and much much more i am sure oh yeah and the court case will go in our favor think positive stay safe the robbers highlights are available on the iplayer if you want to relive last night by the way so uh, enjoy until next time from all of us take care see you later
0: 28 players who scored a single goal for oh. Blackburn Rovers in the Premier League.
2: Kevin Davis.
3: Correct. I don't I know
2: any. Um, who else scored a single goal?
3: Did Matteo score? I'm thinking like defenders who played like a few.
2: Brad Friedel.
3: Oh, God. Brad Friedel, correct. Um,
0: defenders who scored in local derbies.
2: Pascal Chimbonda. Correct. Franco De Sancta. Yes. Though
0: um, so he's not a defender, but yes.
2: So that's four.
0: How many
3: did Cinema Pongol get? Correct. Uh,
2: Jeff Kenner. Jeff Kenner.
3: No. no uh, Georgius Donis. He
0: scored against Everton, yeah. too. Didn't,
3: didn't he get I two? He
2: got a couple, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah he's not on the list. Um, Flame-haired Welshman of Suspect Temperament. Robbie Savage. You can't talk about the game
2: if you've not played it. Robbie. bollocks, well, he scored. No, he scored in Europe, didn't he? Did he score in the Premier League? He scored one in the Premier League. Right.
0: So he, he's correct. So you're going well so far. Uh, uh, there are other defenders. Stefan Honshaw. Curtis. Yeah, he was in, mainly in the Championship, wasn't he, Curtis? Honshaw, no. Centre-back, though. Massive head. It was at Ewood last week. Oh, Hamley. Yeah. He scored in the Premier League
2: at Manchester United uh, on the first yeah. Day. Yeah. Did, did, um, did, oh, who else scored that day? It was another like random name scored that day, was it? Uh, I don't know, it was Yacouba who scored too, didn't he? And, um, who else would there be?
0: Italian Loney midfield. Keith Andrews. Okay. Baggio Markelin. Both of those, yeah. Baggio Marcolin. Keith Andrews score one.
2: He definitely scored.
0: Uh, no, he's he not. must honest. have more than one. Slovakian or Slovenia, I can oh, never Gresko. remember left back.
2: Vratislav Gresko. Yeah. Oh, Gresko, wow.
0: Vratislav Gresko.
2: Brilliant, until we signed him. Um, Former Newcastle
0: centre-back. Zorab. Uh, Zorab's one. Darren Peacock. Darren Peacock's one. Right, so you've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So you're nearly halfway there. Uh... N- Norwegian lone striker. Shares a surname with a oh, Rovers legend. Per, per Pedersen. Per Pedersen, or Pedestrian, as the guy who sat next to me used to call him. Uh, the big signing after we won the league. Scored at Bolton.
2: Homes.
3: Holmes.
0: Yep. Centre back. Went on to sign for Crystal Palace.
2: Chris Coleman?
0: No, he came from oh, Crystal right. Palace. Yeah.
2: Um,
3: Barry Ferguson. I know he's not the answer to the question.
0: Do you, do you? No, he, I think he got more than one. He take penalties. Came though, from came it. from Birmingham City, sold into Crystal Palace, centre back. Oh Dan. Scott Dan?
3: Scott damn! yeah. ruptured testicle. What uh, about one of the? Yeah.
0: Uh, he knackered Ozzy the Ardiles
2: once. Douglas. Tony Dobson. No, he, but, when he was playing for the opposition. Richard Dobson. Tony Dobson is it? Uh... No, playing for Plymouth. Richard Dobson. Richard Dobson. Richard Dobson. Something Dobson. <laughs>
0: Richard Dobson's leading with the skins. Okay. it? <laughs> <laughs> Played for Plymouth, signed for Rovers under Dark Leash, but when he played for Plymouth, he knackered Ozzy Ardealers. Yeah, it was... Yeah, was it
2: was... Nicky Marker. Nicky Marker.
0: Nicky Marker. Or Mickey Narker, as the mate of mine used to call him. We no.
2: didn't have a player called Tony Dobson or Richard Dobson. Or something? We did, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah to- Tony Dobson and Steve Livingston were the first signings with the Walker money, right. and then Bobby Mims. Um, this is a question you've asked me in the past, Rog. Um only scored one goal in the Premier League for Rovers, oh, yes. but scored loads well scored a few in the championship. Went on to managers.
2: Um Mark Hughes. Mark Hughes, of course.
0: Um scored a free kick against Norwich in the 7-2 on my Gordon wedding day. Gordon Cowans. Gordon Cowens. This is testing my memory now. I once saw him score away at Huddersfield, which I think is the last time I saw Rovers win at Huddersfield. Agolashian staff came in, yeah came in partex with Kev Davis. Um Scottish international left back who went to Preston? Callum Davidson. Irish international midfielder who scored against Burnley once? Yes, McAteer. McAteer. Oh. Um left back from Grimsby Town? Alan Wright. From Grimsby, Alan Wright was from Blackpool. Before, uh, no, after Allen Wright. Way after Allen Wright. And
2: Grimsby left-back.
0: It was England under-21. So we'd signed an England under-21 in right. We'd signed an England under-21 in lasso So they thought that was the path to the future. So they signed the then England under-21 international from Grimsby Town. Oh. Gary Croft. Oh, oh. Gary Croft. Yeah. Said, that was a that yeah.
2: was a belter as one, against Chelsea as well.
0: I
1: can't the remember. Marlon much. did
0: he get a goal in the Premier League? Right, there are. F- oh, you have Marnie mentioned. Sorry, I missed him. Yeah. So there are one, two, three, four left. Uh, journeyman striker played oh, in Italy.
2: Jeffers, did he get one? He scored yes. in Europe. Played
0: in Italy. Started at Arsenal, I think. Also played for Coventry. Oh, Bothroyd. Bothroyd, yeah. Um, long curly-haired Frenchman in the Hodgson era. Perez. The
2: best- yes, the best- Perez. Yeah, the best- yes, Perez. Perez yeah. How did he, and that sending off, They talked about it in that 99... Uh, yeah, yeah. It was like, that he, sending he was off. sent
0: off for being punched, wasn't he? Yeah. For, for placing his face on the end of a fist. Harry uh,
2: Gravelso's fist, yeah. Uh, I
0: can't remember whether it... Is it Montenegrin or Macedonian? Simon, I think he's Macedonian. Vukcevic, yeah. Vukcevic, Fine, yeah. And then last but no means least, uh, Rovers' homegrown midfielder who went on to play for Leeds primarily. I was that,
2: Douglas. Jonathan Douglas. Jonathan,
0: oh, yeah, that's yeah. so fallen. 28, yeah, the, the mustard kit, the John Stead match, yes. 28, well done, Jonathan.
3: I paid £20 to get in last night, thank you. Did, did you see people, like, people genuinely leaving, thinking if the game was done after 90 minutes?
0: Yeah, you might have gone knowing. I remember a full Members' Cup Match at Huddersfield in the in the year we won it, and, and I, I was working in Manchester at the time. I thought i oh, sod it, I'll go to this. So I just drove straight over from work, and it full time one all, and I like, zip my coat up, my gloves in my pocket, walking. out couldn't understand why nobody else was leaving. And I was like, what, what, what's going on? It's extra time, there It's <laughs> going oh, bloody hell. I never realised that. And we uh, yeah, so I, I have been caught out similarly, but I, mean, I think last night we, uh,
1: I think we've won it was me.